Starting today, I'm going to preach a summer sermon series at, uh, at Forest. We study gospel in spring and the Old Testament in summer and the New Testament letters in fall. Continuing from the last summer, last year's, uh, last summer, uh, last year's summer study on the story of Samuel, we are going to look at the story of David this year. Now, some of you remember my preaching on David five years ago. At the beginning of our church, we studied the well-known stories of David, the man after God's heart. This summer, I want us to focus on special time in David's life. That is when David became a fugitive under King Saul's deadly, relentless threat before he became a king of Israel. Here we see David suffering constantly day after day. I find the perilous period of David's life to be very relevant to our pandemic situation. In the next eight weeks, I want us to study and learn how David survived this difficult time and became a strong, well-prepared shepherd for God's people. I pray that this summer series, The King in Wilderness, will help us see God's deeper grace and strengthen our faith. Before we delve into the story today, let me brief you about why David is such an important person for us to know and to learn from. He was, well, he was known as a man after God's heart. That doesn't mean he was a super holy and ultra-righteous, perfect human being. On the contrary, David was a very human like you and me. In fact, David was more human than most of us. By that I mean that he experienced wide, I mean extremely wide range of human life and emotions. Oswald Sanders said, David swung between extremes, but paradoxically, the oscillating needle always returned to its pole, God himself. And Chuck Swindoll, also in his book about David, said this, David was a man of a glorious triumph, yet great tragedy, uniquely gifted, but human to the core, strong in battle, but weak at home. Why are we drawn to study his life? Because David isn't a polished marble personality. He is a blood and bones and breath sharing our struggles of spirit and soul. So God loved David not because he was sinless and perfect, but because he was persistent in seeking God, especially in his crisis and challenges. So today we will see the beginning of his struggling and suffering time in the wilderness. So now let's read his story in the 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 1 to 5. 1 Samuel chapter 22, 1 to 5. Let me read. David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. From there, David went to Mizpah in Moab and said to the king of Moab, Would you let my father and mother come and stay with you until I learn what God will do for me? 
So he left them in the king of Moab, and they stayed with him as long as David was in the stronghold. But the prophet God said to David, Do not stay in the stronghold. Go into the land of Judah. So David left and went to the forest of Hereth. Today's story tells us David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Uh, let me first show you what the cave of Adullam look, uh, could look like. The picture we see is an area called Qumran near the Dead Sea in southern Israel. There are many natural caves like this in the Judean desert or wilderness. This area actually, Qumran, was a very historical place because we had a huge a biblical archaeological discovery where we found the uh, uh, lost uh, uh, scriptures of Old Testament. We found the entire scroll of a book of Isaiah that totally turned a uh, uh, modern biblical scholarship and uh, their you know wrong critics about the Bible. So it's a very important place. But you know somewhere uh, something similar to this. This is where the cave of Adullam looked like. Now. Coming back, a cave like this was not a normal human habitat, especially someone important like David. How did he end up in a cave, a habitat for animals? The key word in the book of 1 Samuel is escape. The word escape and flee appear in this book more than any book in the Bible. So what or who was David escaping from? He was escaping from Saul, his king. Why? David's suffering all began because of one man's irrational jealousy. David suffered because of one man. Are you suffering because of one person in your life? That's for David, that's a Saul. So, let me... Let me say that the, uh, uh, let me let me bring back to the what happened here. So let me read First Samuel chapter eighteen six and nine, which tells us where Saul's uh, jealousy started. When the men were returning home after David killed the Philistine, that means Goliath, woman came out from all the towns of Israel, making Saul with the singing and dancing, with the joyful songs and with the timbrels and lyres. They, as they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought. But me with only thousands. One more can he get but the kingdom. And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. Saul had an irrational envy of David. It was irrational because David was one who saved him from the giant named uh, Goliath and uh, uh, inevitable, almost inevitable defeat from Philistine army. David was a faithful, courageous, and loyal to the core. He was effective against the Philistines. Saul also made a David, later married his daughter Michael, and David became a happily married son-in-law. David was grateful also for his newfound friendship with Jonathan, the crown prince, the elder son of Saul. David had no reason to rebel against Saul. 
but Saul's obsession with the power and throne made him irrationally jealous and blindly envious. He began to suspect David, and while his son Jonathan tried to make some sense to him, he, his irrational envy became more deadly every day until David became the most wanted man in Israel. So today's story back us to ask questions. Why did God allow man after his own heart, a good faithful servant like David, to be hunted like a dog? What special purpose could God accomplish in a cave? What good things come out of a cave when, where no one wants to live? Today, I want us to know two important lessons from this story. I call it two crucial blessings from our caves. And these two blessings, crucial blessings, will shed light on our current pandemic challenges. So first and foremost lesson that God wanted David not just to learn, but to master in his life as the greatest truth to live by and breathe on and sleep on every second of his life is to believe God absolutely. Believe God absolutely. To believe God absolutely means to depend on God totally. To depend on God totally. What does it mean to depend on God totally? To believe in God in the truest sense of the word means depend on God only and totally above everyone and beyond everything. It means though we have many good people and useful things to count on for our life, we must recognize God is one and only true dependable person for us. Even though many of us say we believe in God, very often we believe in God along with many other resources and supportive people in life. Our dependence on God is not pure, but actually mixed with other dependencies. And God is purifying David's faith, especially his dependency on him. So how does David learn this lesson to depend on God absolutely, totally, and purely? God started removing every clutch they David leaned on one by one as he started running away from Saul. What are the clutches that David removed? I mean, God removed from David. There, there were three clutches. In uh, we find in the First Samuel chapter nineteen to twenty-one. I encourage you to read later. The first thing David lost was uh, uh, was a clutch called good position. Good position. David had proven himself a faithful, valiant, valuable warrior in King Saul's army. Saul made him a top general and his son-in-law. Now, as one commentator says, it's all gone in the flesh of a spear which Saul threw at David. All he worked hard, risking his life, was taken away just one day. Without any severance pay, not even two weeks' notice, David was fired and had to flee as a fugitive. The second crutch that God removed from David was a good people. Probably this is a harder. 
The first person David lost was his beloved wife, Michael. Saul was brutal and merciless when he was hunting David. When Saul sent an arresting army to David, Michael cleverly protected David by making an excuse and giving some time to escape. And with anger, Saul took the, gave Michael to another man, thus automatically forced a divorce on them. By the way, an obsessive parent makes his or her child tragic. You know, parents who take uh, children as some kind of they are, you know, under their tight control, they make uh, children's life miserable. Next person David lost was uh, Samuel, the prophet and spiritual leader of uh, Israel, who discovered David and anointed him with a God's promise. Samuel was a uh, David's pastor and spiritual mentor. Look at the first Samuel chapter nineteen eighteen. When David has fled and made his escape, he went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that all had done to him. Then he and Samuel went to Naoth and stayed there. Even Samuel couldn't do much for David. And uh, I really encourage you to read 1 Samuel 19, chapter 19, verse 19 to 24. I, I don't have time to read, so I'm going to skip. But there was a comic relief. So you need to read and find out why I call it a comic relief. Saul did not relent his pursuit of David. And now, third and probably most painful good people David lost was a Jonathan. David and Jonathan were unlikely friends of the most inspiring friendship. They bonded together in their common faith God. Jonathan and David, they, had, they, overcame, they are so different from each other, yet they overcame all human odds and barriers. You know, Jonathan was a crown prince. That means an aristocrat. And uh, he's the oldest son of a king. David, even though he was a prodigy warrior with a God's, you know, promise, God's promise for the next crown, but he was the youngest son of a shepherd family. He was a nobody in his family. They had a, and the worst, they had a political competition and social economic differences. Yet they transcended all man-made obstacles and became best friends, or BFF. Later, when Jonathan was killed along with Saul, David mourned in 2 Samuel chapter uh, 1, 26, that I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of a woman. You know, David was a singer. He was popular with the girls. He knew a lot of a woman's love. But David said, Jonathan, your love for me is purer, more wonderful than any woman ever loved me. Twice, David said, Jonathan, your love was wonderful to me. So David came to Jonathan. And in second, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 20, you know, you see that David pouring out his heart to Jonathan. But Jonathan couldn't do much. And there, David took on us and said, Your father knows very well that I have found the favor in your eyes. And he has said to himself, Jonathan must not know this or he will be grieved. 
Yet as surely as the Lord lives and you live, there is a one step between me and death. You know what David was saying? Jonathan, Jonathan, you don't realize how much your father tried to kill me. Brother, Jonathan, I'm dying right now. And Jonathan tried to plead David's innocence, his father. And do you know, not just once, but twice, but the second time, Saul almost killed Jonathan. You know, 1 Samuel chapter 20, 30, Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan and said, You son of a perverse and rebellious woman. I always find it odd. When people curse at somebody, why do they always bring the mother? Don't I know that you cited the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send someone to bring to him, him to me. He must kill. But Saul hurled his spear at him to kill him. Then Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. Saul said, Jonathan, I'm doing this for you. And Jonathan, you don't understand. And then when Saul was frustrated, he almost you know, threw the spear to kill his son. So they met one last time. And they realize they're, you know, they're in the, uh, they're in the, in the trouble. They made a, they confirmed their friendship for good and cried together. In the first Samuel twenty verse forty one, uh, after the, you know, boy had gone and then David and Jonathan could be alone, David got up from the south side of stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times. That means utmost respect with his face to the ground. And they kissed each other, wept together, because they knew this is the last time they will see each other. But Bible said David wept the most. I bet while David wept the most, Jonathan felt the worst. Their beautiful friendship couldn't save David. Now, David lost the good people. That's the second clutch, crutch that God removed. The third and final crutch that God, uh, God uh, wanted David to give up was his uh, own problem-solving wisdom, his own personal intelligence and wisdom. So when David felt that death was closing in him tighter every day, and he was running out of safe places to hide, Guess what he decided? He decided what many troubled politicians did. He chose to be in exile of, uh, in the land of his enemies. His, so verse chapter 21, verse 10 said, The day David fled from Saul and went to King of, uh, King Achish, King of Gath. Gath. Does anyone remember another warrior from Gath? Gath was a hometown of a Goliath. David went to God thinking that enemy of my enemy is my friend. And then if you read the rest of the story, but the servant of Achish said to him, isn't this David, the king of the land? Isn't he the, the one who they sang about in their dances? All has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, king of God. So he pretended to be insane in their presence. 
And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of a gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Aki said to his servant, Look at the man. He's insane. Why bring him to me? Am I sure of a madman that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? David's plan, personal wisdom and tactic to save his own life backfired on him that David had to act like a madman. His life in God depended on his acting. So David regretted taking on exile in Philistine's land and he had to return to the land of Judah. Back to square one. Let me show you the map about David's movement here. Do you see where Saul was? It's at Gibeah. That's where the Saul's headquarters. And David is from Bethlehem, south of there. And the Ramah, that's where Saul was, I mean Samuel was, and ne Nebioth was nearby. And then west of from there is a Gath. So, so can you see that they've been moving around? You know, that those north, east, and the west, and then now, finally, only available place for him was a, a you know, small cave called the Adullam in the southwestern, in the wilderness of Judah. While David stayed in the cave of Adullam, he wrote two psalms, Psalm 142 and Psalm 57. Psalm 57 we will examine uh, next Sunday. But Psalm 142, verse 1 to 5, I want us to read. David said, I cry aloud to the Lord, I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. Before him I tell my troubles. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my way. In the past where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me. Look and see, there is no one at my right hand. No one is a concern for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I cry out to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. In ancient Jewish court, right side was where defense lawyers and the witnesses for the accused stood. Now David was confessing that there is no one for him. He was declaring his total spiritual nakedness, poverty, inability, and loneliness. As David confessed that there is no one, who offered him a refuge, David also realized and began to cry out that, God, you are my only refuge. That's a something that I pray that all of us experience deeply in our core and cherish in our soul. As God allowed David to become a fugitive, God also made himself available to David as his refuge. As God removed all the crutches from David, he also revealed David the true crutch is God himself. That David, while you cannot depend on others, you can depend on me. You know, this is a very valuable truth and lesson that we should remember. Because, you know, ordinary times, you know, even though we say we depend on God, but we depend on many other people and we don't realize. But you should know 
in the most critical times of your life, your family, your friends cannot help you. Even your pastor cannot do much. Only God can help you. I bet, you know, Michelle and Deanna probably say, Amen. You know, who's going to help me tomorrow except, you know, in my you know, critical test? You know, Emily will say the same thing, you know, a month from now when she takes a, you know, MCAT score, MCAT test. I remember when I took the, my PhD comprehensive exam, I felt utterly lonely, even though I was surrounded by a loving wife and then, you know, very, you know, adoring three daughters, I was lonely. Only God could have helped me. You know, Frederick Nietzsche once said that he who knows why can bear with any how. Nietzsche said, he who knows the why can bear with any how. Well, really? You know, Job, in the Bible, he asked why to God. Why? Why do I suffer God? And do you know what God's answer? God never answered Job's many whys. But if you look at the end of the book of Job, chapter 38 to 41, God asked him, 50 rapid-fire questions. And all those questions does not answer why, but God was showing Job, knowing who God is, is far more important knowing why suffering comes. The question to why is who. When you know who you are crying to, you can handle any why. Without that who, even if you have an answer to why, it doesn't help you. During this pandemic physical isolation, God is calling us to know Him deeper and better. As a David learned to depend on God, let us learn to abide in God. I really encourage you, those of you, those of you really having a hard time, come to God. Take just a 10 minutes a day. Listen to daily breath. Join us either you know, 7 o'clock in the morning or listen to the uh, podcast wherever. And uh, you know, take, take a breath from God and ask God to make my day your day, Lord. Now let me move on to the second. Second blessing, or I call it hidden blessing and crucial lesson that God wanted David to learn in the cave of Adullam was to build up and develop God's people. Look at the verse 1. When his brothers and his father's household heard about David going to cave of Adullam, they went down to him there. And verse 2, all those who were in distress, in debt, and discontented gathered around him, and David became their commander. About 400 men were with him. When David went to hide in the cave of Adullam, God all sent others to hide with him in the cave. The second blessing of God in today's story. You may, you know, ask how these people could be God's blessings to David. King Saul was looking for David everywhere to kill him. His spies were everywhere for intelligence gathering. To bounty hunters, David was a jackpot. Thus, David has to stay invisible and move with the utmost stealth. He had to live like a, a deep underwater nuclear submarine with a total radio silence. But all of a sudden, God sent all kinds of people, 400 men and their families showed up and joined David. 
the cave of Adullam became crowded and noisy. This is not time for David to become a commander. It's a time for him to conceal himself. But God made him captain or leader of this strange company. These people will expose David and slow down him at least. And they don't offer much help, but actually headaches to David. Look at them carefully. Those who gather are people in distress, people in debt, and people discontent. People in distress means they have some trauma. They need a counseling. People in debt means they are penniless poor. They are extra mouths to feed. The discontent means they have a frustration and anger issues. This is the first group of people whom God wanted David to lead and serve as their shepherd. And here is an important spiritual lesson that we need to learn. Therefore, as church family, you have to remember this. God never gives us a ministry when we think we are ready. God gives us a ministry when we are not prepared. If you wait for the perfect time to do ministry, you will never do God's ministry. Serving in a church, especially house church ministry, is never convenient, but always cumbersome. By the way, as Ahayun you know, mentioned in prayer, I praise God for our new house church just launched last Friday, Betare, Venezuela, our third mission partner in Venezuela. You know, both Stephanie Cho and Laurel Kim, the new shepherds, they're actually critical transition time in their life. You know, Stephanie was planning to do a one year of research at Stanford Medical School, and she still have to do that remotely, and then get married nine days from now. And Laurel, she's also busy. She's just starting her first year in the IBM. And also, she's also engaged and planning a marriage next, next year. And she's all already teaching a, you know, a G, you know, Kushapur College and also serving a youth as, you know, as a girls' you know, Bible study you know, a teaching team. And uh, both their uh, fiancés, Sean and Brian, seems like they job in the West Coast. So a lot of things end up in their air. Yet they stepped up to serve as a shepherd. During this, you know, I mean, by the way, thanks to, you know, a Zoom service, they could do that, no matter where they are. So I really praise God for their stepping and pray that God will really give them an extra wisdom to do, I mean, to, to do or multitask. That's what God is doing for David at the cave of Adullam. Instead of a Michael, Samuel, and Jonathan, these are good crutches, David depended on before. Now God gave David the poor, the hurt, and broken people as is a new community. And I must tell you, this is a blessing. How could this be a blessing? Let me tell you. First of all, David's new life in the cave replaces all the false friends and flatters with the truthful friends. Let me repeat that. David's crisis allow him to truly replace all the false friends with the true friends and reveal true friends. 
Truly, man's adversities are God's opportunity. If you want to know who your true friends are, let me tell you, go and make a mistake and then find out who stick to you. They are your true friends. Before David has a great reputation and many people liked David. Many adored David, the slayer of a Philistine giant, the singer of Israel, possible future king, according to rumor that Samuel secretly, secretly anointed him. Thus many people David for his potentially successful future and career. Now no longer people could see him that way. David became the most wanted man in Israel with a huge bounty hunting reward on his neck. Thus the crisis and cave in Adullam became God's hidden filter to sort out truthful friends for David. From now on, anyone who followed David must have a good reason beyond all the materialistic gain and the selfish you know, interest. Now the suffering crowd came to David simply because of his integrity and his good heart. And they are the true friends of David. Crisis sought out truth friend, truthful friends from temporary people. They, gave, they might give a David a temporary liability, but they also will give David a true royalty that lasts for good. Now, the second blessing of God through these unlikely people has a surprising result. These troubled people who, began, who, who uh, came to David became not only truthful friends, but also trained warriors. Later in 2 Samuel 23, enlisted David's famous warriors. And do you know that many of them in the list came from this group of people at the cave of Adullam? Here is God's great wisdom. God was already building David's kingdom here at the cave of Adullam, not, not later at the castle. It was good to know the historical context briefly here. You know, at the time, Israel had a formidable adversary called the Philistines. Philistines are very different from Canaanite. Unlike a native Canaanite, Philistines also were, were latecomers like Israelite. The only difference between Israelite and Philistine, Philistines were seafarers, and they had a far more advanced culture and technology. For instance, Philistines were already mastering and using iron weapons and sword, while Israelites still have to fight the bronze weapons. So if you look at the first Samuel chapter 13, 21 to 22, you find out that uh, only two people in Israel has an iron sword. That's a King Saul and Jonathan. And later, Jonathan gave his sword to David. That's another story. Philistines were simply terror to Israel for a long time. But do you know, we don't hear about them anymore after David. David completely defeated the Philistine and erased their name in the history. How could they do that with the lesser quality weapons and resources? Starting from cave of Adullam, David learned to master a great military tactic called guerrilla warfare. David and his band of brothers at the cave became an excellent special forces who are good at hit and run. 
Saul unknowingly became a bastard drill sergeant, drill sergeant to David and his men. In fact, David and his men became a de facto the people's you know, army in Israel. While King Saul was abusing his power and neglecting his duty to protect his people, his country, David and his men, they began to protecting Israelites from foreign armies and then all kinds of bad bandits in Israel, in, in the wilderness. So David's reputation grew slowly but steadily. Then later in the first Samuel chapter uh, 27, we find that the number grew 400 to 600. For their growing reputation, look at the first Samuel chapter 25, 14 to 16. One of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife, David sent messengers from wilderness to give our master his greeting, but our master hurled insult at them. Yet these men, David's men, they were very good to us. They did not mistreat us. And the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Actually, verse 16, the, uh, Abigail, the Nabal servant said, Night and day, David's army wore a wall around us the whole time when we were herding our sheep. The small band of David and his men was the cornerstone of David's future kingdom. God was not delaying his promise of kingship to David. God was already delivering his promise to David by developing truthful friendship, truthful friends, and trained warriors around them. We should recognize that David's kingdom did not start later in Hebron, Hebron or Jerusalem, but here at the cave of Adullam. What does it all this mean to be mean to us? So will be the forest. Our future will be as bright as we are here now. This pandemic and social distancing is a God-given opportunity to deepen our relationship with God and each other. This is not time for us to sit back, but sit up and shout out to the Lord in prayers via Zoom. I pray that we all keep, keep, up, keep in touch with our VIPs. And we, this is time for us to show more care for them with the extra texting and extra you know, email or encouragement or card or whatever form. This is a time for us to really intensify and focus on these people who feel probably utter lonely than before. This is a God-given opportunity. And in due time, God will answer our prayers with a seed of love and care that we plan now. You know, yesterday, I heard an interesting news report about dating these days. Online dating experts said this is a great time for blind date in virtual, real, uh, virtual dating. They say the, uh, we don't, people don't have to worry about superficial, artificial stuff uh, about blind dating, such as where to eat, how to dress up. You know, all the external issues don't matter anymore. You go directly to each other's personality and the character. You ask questions, important questions. That is, uh, how do you handle this, you know, pressure? You know, how do you keep up with your family and friends? You know, what brings you joy and relaxing? 
Or what kind of movie are you watching and enjoy? What do you recommend? And some of them, they watch together and then they really, you know, have a deeper conversation. You know, social distancing, this term is a really horrible term. This is nothing but a physical distancing. This is actually social closing in, or I might say spiritual intimacy. Community of David and his followers in the cave of Adullam, I believe is a picture of a true spiritual fellowship. I pray that our forest community becomes another band of brothers and sisters who become a truthful, committed, trained friends like a friends and community of Adullam. You know, David slowed down. If you look at the verse 3, David went to a Mizpah Moab, and he has to entrust his family to king of Moab. By the way, why Moab? Do you remember David's great-grandmother, Ruth? Where is she from? She's from Moab. And then, you know, the, look at the David. So look at the David Sefer said, Would you let my father and mother come and stay with you until I learn what God will do for me? You know, that means David was clueless. David has no plan. He just, you know, improvising and responding the best as he could. So first of all, he left them with the king of Moab and then they stayed with him as long as David was in the stronghold. And then verse 5. Look at the verse 5. But, the prophet God, you have to underline your Bible, the prophet God said to David, do not stay in the stronghold, go into the land of Judah. So David left and went to the forest of Herod. God began to guide David through the prophet. When was the last time you saw the prophet in the book of Samuel? Samuel was gone, but God provided a new prophet for David and continued to guide and protect him and prepare you know, and train him. Dear Forest family, God is training us. This pandemic is not an unfortunate time. It is an opportune time, time of a blessing in disguise. Let us come to God. Let us come to God more humbly and deeply and with a, with a faith and open heart. And He will make us Strong like a David. Let's pray.